I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Would you repeat it after me, please? The obvious, the obstinate, and the obtainable. Of course, the central word in this passage is help. Help. And this psalm is one of transition. It is actually known as a wilderness psalm because it was written while Israel was in transition from Egyptian bondage to the promised land. And they are there in the wilderness, in the desert, 40 years. And as they are making their way and going around, as it were, in circles, this song is written talking about their source of help. It is one of desert training. It is born out of their struggle. 120 degrees during the day and 35 degrees at night. And this psalm talks about their help. And we live in a self-help world. This is the how-to generation. And everywhere you look in every bookstore and even on the internet, there is all of this information both in written form and video, on how you can help yourself. We live in a time where people have learned to do things on their own. They buy the materials and the magazines. They look at the videos. They watch the HG network. And so on their own, they learn how to cook without a mother or a grandmother's help. On their own, they start repairing their houses and fixing up their own kitchen and doing those things that at one time they would have had to hire a professional to do. But now people are helping themselves. This is the age of self-help, even with websites like WikiHow and Ask.com. Whatever you need. There is some YouTube video of someone in their own kitchen or their own bedroom or their own front yard showing you what to do step by step. But we have to understand that the Bible, the Word of God, is not a book of suggestions. No, it is a book of answers. When God speaks to your situation, he is not suggesting that you try something. When you read the word of God, the word is giving you the answer to your problems. Because the truth of the matter is that God does not have your answer. He is your answer. And what our faith is about is not about mores. It's not about books. It's not about practicing religion. It is about God. It is about a personal relationship. And recognizing him as the source of our help. Because you understand that God is the giver of time, talent, and treasure. And everyone in this room has been given some of all three. We all have time, we all have talent, and we all have a measure of treasure. 
We've all been given time. That's our being even here now in this sanctuary. There's time that God created because God created time just like he created us. Time is a creation of God. It's like a creature of God and time serves God just as God would have us to serve him. Some people want to understand God and time, but the truth is God is not a creature of time. He is a being of eternity. God does not live in time. God lives in eternity. And some people want to know how old God is, but the truth is he is the same age now as he was when he made Adam. There are no birthdays in eternity. And there are no death certificates in eternity. Time always has been and always will be. And eternity always has been and always will be. And time is a crack in eternity. But God has given all of us time and God has given all of us talent. That's how you earn a living. That's your skill. That's your education. That's what you use for your livelihood. It's called talent. And then God has given everyone in this room a measure of treasure. And so when you were born, you were born fully equipped. You were born with a head, a heart, and hands. A head to think with, a heart to feel with, and hands to work out what you think and feel. And when head, heart, and hand lines up with time, talent, and treasure, we bring God something he can be proud of. God wants it all back. And when you understand the word of God, understand that the ultimate goal of everyone in this room with time, talent, and treasure is to do the will of God. We are to find, follow, and finish the will of God. That's what God is requiring. And we understand that because God requires that. We use his word not to get to know the word better, but to get to know him better. And the more of his word we know, the more of him we know. And the more of him we know, the more victories we experience. You can live in this world as a Christian with no victory. You can live a defeated life as a child of God. And all that God desires for you to have and desires for you to accomplish can be lost if you don't understand the source of your help. And that's what's important. And you see, according to the passage that I've read, that on our spiritual walk, there are some things in this life that are obvious. But yes, there are other things that are obstinate. And there are other things that are attainable. Now, when you look at this word, understand that there are things that are obvious. And I call that LTD. Loss, would you say loss? Trouble, would you say trouble? And disappointment, would you say disappointment? In this life, those three things are obvious. Every one of us in this life experiences loss, trouble, and disappointment. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how often you worship, no matter what you know about the word, no matter what you do in practice of the word, you will still in this life experience loss. We lose things in this world. 
and we lose things that we don't want to lose. Now, there are some things we lose, we're glad that they're gone. But there are other things that we lose, we hate, we lost. But everything in this world that you ever get, you eventually lose it. You know, there are some who believe that God is all about provision. But that's a mistake. Because as long as I've been a child of God, every time God has provided something for me, eventually it needed to be replaced. Yeah, he gave me a car, but it eventually broke down. He had to give me another one. He gives you food, but eventually you eat it and get hungry again. He gives you shelter, but eventually the roof starts leaking and the house needs to be repaired. In, in this world, we seek provision from God, but the truth is you shouldn't seek provision, but you ought to seek the provider. Because what I understand is no matter what he provides, I'm going to lose it. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh yes, he's given me material things. I lost those. He's given me friends. I've lost those. I've had family members. I've lost those. But God is still the same. I wish I had a witness here. Because you know, even when it comes to my personal life and yours, we've lost so much. Keep on living. You even lose your youth. You lose your good looks. You lose your good hair. There was a time when you bragged about your hair. Spent a lot of money on your hair. But now you have to buy other hair to replace the hair that got lost. I wish I had a witness here. No matter who you are, one day the figure eight can become a figure old. We lose the pep in our step, the, the glide in our stride, the swivel in our hips. Eventually, our steps get a little shorter. Our eyes grow a little dimmer. Our ears get a little hard of hearing. No matter what you get in this life, someday you're going to lose it. I mean, you can dye it, fry it, curl it, comb it back, comb it forward. Paint it, but eventually you're going to lose it. Nothing in this world is there that you can hold on to forever. We make great friendships and relationships. And there are people, when we're in high school and college, we think we can never live without. But then sometimes even God has to strip them out of our lives. Because we become codependent on people and we lose them. You lose things in this world. Money gets lost. Prestige, influence gets lost. This is a world of loss. But not only a world of loss, it's a world of trouble. Can anybody say trouble? Trouble happens in this world. Even Job talked about it. Remember when he was down and without? Even Job said, man, that is born of a woman. It's of a few days. And those days are filled with trouble. Even Peter said, don't even think it's strange when you're going through fiery trials. That's a part of living in this world. There is going to be trouble at every address. 
You may be anointed to preach. You may be gifted to sing. You may be a great worship leader. You may be a tremendous, generous giver in the house of God. But no matter who you are, trouble is coming by. Storms happen in life. And when God allows a storm to happen in your life, there's only two kinds of storms that God allows a child of God to have. One is a correcting storm, and the other is a perfecting storm. Some storms come into your life to help you straighten out. And were it not for that storm erupting and forcing you to look again and evaluate and turn to God, you go down the wrong path. So God doesn't send the storm, but he allows the storm to come in order to correct you and get you back where you're supposed to be. But then there are other storms that are not correcting but perfecting because your maturity happens in storms. Show me a mature believer and I'll show you where they've been through the storm. They've been through the ups and downs. They have found the secret place and they are dwelling there in the presence of God. Show me a person with an anointing on their life and I'll show you where they got squeezed until the oil came out of their spirit. Because perfecting storms make us better. Somebody say, I'm better. Oh, I know that you won't go back to what you went through. I know you don't want to go back to it, but let's tell the truth. You're better for it. You're better for the days you struggled. You're better for the days you cried. You're better for the days you didn't understand. You're better for the days that you were confused. I'm better for it. Trouble. And then there's disappointment. Can you say disappointment? Sometimes in life we get disappointed. We get embarrassed with ourselves. We get ashamed. We get ashamed. But we've got to make sure that we don't let our shame keep us down. When your pain is greater than your shame, you're ready to be delivered. Sometimes people live in shame. But then when the pain gets greater... They're ready for deliverance. So you got loss, trouble, and disappointment. Now hear the Psalter when the Psalter says, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. And, but you got to be careful right there because it's one of those scriptures that we get all confused in. You know, we get confused in scripture sometimes. And we get so confused until we've been, doing, we've been saying it a certain way so long until it's commonly accepted that that's what it's about. Like sometimes you hear people talk about touching and agreeing, so they say, let's hold hands, when Jesus never said hold hands. Jesus said that if any two of you will agree on earth as touching anything, it didn't say touching everyone. So we need to reach over and hold hands. I don't hold hands with people when I pray. I don't know whether your hands are holy or not. You know, spirits are transferable. If you got some rebellion in you, I don't want it to jump off in me while we pray. I wish I had a witness around here. Touching is powerful. You don't let everybody touch you. 
You know, some people run from church to church, tent revival to tent revival. You don't run down letting some other preacher lay hands on you. Your head is for your pastor's hands. And for those that your pastor invites to that house. But you running all over town trying to get delivered, letting all kind of strange-spirited, wild-spirited folk lay hands on you. You don't know what you got going on in you. And the Psalter said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from which come my help. But watch him. He is not saying he's going to look to the hills. Actually, he's saying he won't do it. So if you have a more contemporary rendering of that verse, it could actually read like this. Shall I lift up my eyes to the hills? And then the answer is no. You see, in those days, remember, they were in transition in between Egypt and Canaan. They were living outdoors and there were mountain ranges all around them. It was commonly believed that the ghosts of ancestors lived in the mountains and that when you got in trouble, the spirit of your dead grandmama or granddaddy would come down from the mountain and help you out. A few years ago, we buried one of the finest friends and preachers I know, Dr. Howard Creasy Jr., who was at that time the president of SCLC nationwide. Uh, Ambassador Andrew Young spoke at his funeral, and he cited an incident when he was ministering in Africa several years ago, and they got in a storm while flying from one village to the next. And the storm was so fierce that they were afraid. And the pilot said to Ambassador Young, don't be afraid because here we believe if we get in trouble, the spirits of our ancestors will come to our rescue. That was the prevailing thought of the first verse. So the Psalter is really saying this, shall I look to the hills? Then the answer comes back, no. Then the question is returned, well then, from whence does my help come? And the answer is, my help comes from the Lord. You see, you don't look to the hills for the Lord because God don't live on a hill. Oh, I don't have a witness here. No, God don't live on a hill. God is everywhere. I did say he's everywhere. I said he's everywhere. I left him at my house when I got to the airport and then he met me at the airport. I left him at my house and the airport. When I got on the plane, I left him at the airport, but he flew with me to Indianapolis. When I got to Indianapolis, I met him at Indianapolis, although he had flown with me from Atlanta and I left him in Atlanta. When I got in the car in Indianapolis, I left him at the airport in Indianapolis, but he rode with me in the car to Fort Wayne. When I got to Fort Wayne, he met me here at Fort Wayne, although he's still in Indianapolis and still in Atlanta because he don't live on a hill. Baby, if you're looking for help, don't look to the hill, look to the Lord. I wish I had a witness around here. He said, from whence then does my help come? The answer is, my help comes from the Lord. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord never slumbers nor sleep. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The Lord is the one that keeps you. When he talks about the Lord is the shade on your right hand, 
That's because they were living in the desert and it would get so hot in the, summer, in, in the daytime. But God for 40 years put a cloud over their head. Every day for 40 years they never saw the sunshine. At night, it said that the moon won't smite you by night because it got 35 degrees in the same desert. God put a pillar of fire to keep them warm every night for 40 years. The Bible said 40 years later, the same clothes they left Egypt in, they were still wearing. The Bible said the same sandals they had on their feet, they were still wearing. There were no holes in them, no new soles or new heels because when God is your keeper, he can make the tires on your car last longer. When God is your keeper, he can make that automobile ride longer. When God is your keeper, he can keep the roof on your house from going bad and keep it much longer. When God is your keeper, he can help that body that's breaking down feel much better because the Lord is your keeper. Which moves me to the obstinate. Can you say the obstinate? I'm going to tell you grace is obstinate. The word obstinate means stubborn. See, there are some things that I lose. <laughs> there are some things that fall away in trouble. There are some things that I'm disappointed with, but grace never changes. From the very time the Bible said, the spirit of the Lord, Genesis 1 verse 2, hovered over the chaos. That was the grace of God. And that same grace is what God told Paul is sufficient which means it's abundant. How much grace does God have for all of us? I'll tell you what you do. Take a teacup, go to the ocean, and scoop some water out in that teacup. Now, as much water is left in that ocean is as much grace as God has for every one of us individually. Oh, I don't have any help around here. The grace of God is so endless, so boundless. It is so much until you cannot even imagine what God will do with you. You need to take the handcuffs off God. You're limiting him. Your prayers are too small. You're praying that God help you pay a bill. You need to want to be debt free. Your prayers are too small. You're praying that God help you through a season in your life. You need to want to have such a closeness that you practice the presence of God. Every day of your life, everywhere you go, and when lost trouble and disappointment comes along, you can look past it because of the grace of God. Grace is God's ability. It's obstinate. Can you say grace is obstinate? But hey, y'all, check this out. Faith is obstinate. Faith. Now, grace is God's ability. Faith is our responsibility. When our responsibility meets God's ability, impossible things go away. And see, faith born in the light is often developed in the darkness. Like the old 
you know, cameras. You'd have to go in a dark room to get the picture. That's the way faith works sometimes. That faith that you get here tonight from the lesson you heard tonight, from the worship that we experienced tonight, this is in the light. But who knows, tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month, next season, you may find yourself in a dark place. But the faith that you've been taught in the light gets developed in the dark. You see, our faith is developed when we look to God. Not to the hills, but to who? To the Lord. Not to the mountains, but to who? The Lord is your keeper. The Lord, the Bible, you know what James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God. Come here, my driver. Come up here and help me do something real quick. Draw near to God. James 4 and 8. He will draw near to you. What does that actually mean? What not? You see him? You see him? You see him? See him? See him? What's he doing? He's drawing near to me. He approached me. Go back over there a little bit. He approached me. Say he approached me. Watch this. Come here, come here, come here. Oh, he's drawing near. So I invited him, and what did he do? He drew near. Draw near to God is your approach. But check this out. God doesn't approach you because he's everywhere. See, he had to get up and come over here to me. Now, if he's playing you and I'm playing God, and I'm going to show you what that verse means, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. (laughs) When you draw near to God, guess what you see? God. What else can you see? What's behind me right now? Say it again. Can't see nothing. He can't see nothing. You know why? All he can see is. Y'all ain't saying it right. You're not saying it right. No, no, no. See, he drew near to me. When you draw near to God, God gets in your space. God gets in your place because the same word for approach also means to be at hand. God is as close to you as your skin is to your body. And when you're in loss, trouble, or disappointment, don't look at what you lost. Don't look at the storm you're in. Don't be ashamed of what you've been through. Keep your eyes on Watch this. All he can see is me. I wish I had a witness. See, the problem is you keep taking your eyes off God and trying to look at your situation. But the truth is, as long as I can see God, I don't worry about my situation. I don't worry about my unemployment. I don't worry about the debit in my bank account. I don't worry about my troubles. All I need is God. That's what faith is. Baby, faith is your relationship with God. Faith is not reaching in the dark for the strength like we used to do in the country trying to find a way to turn the light on. No! Faith is he walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me that I am his own. Amen. Hallelujah. 
I said grace is obstinate. I said faith is obstinate. And praise is obstinate. See, while God gives me grace and I give him faith, I need to be praising my way along. And real praise has to be unrehearsed and undignified. You know, there are some folk, they practice their shout. I've watched them in church sometimes trying to imitate somebody else's shout. And since they don't know how to speak in tongues, they even make that up. Tie my bow tie, ride in my Honda. Tie my bow tie, ride in my Honda. Tie my bow tie, and you wearing a necktie. Ride in my Honda, and you come up here in a Chevrolet. I just, I just, I just, uh, interpreted that tongue for you. Somebody say unrehearsed. See when grace and faith meet and when I don't see the hills all I see is God. Because I ain't worried about the hills because I've got mountain moving faith. His grace is sufficient. I don't worry about the hills all I see is God. And he wants a praise. I wish I had some help. You know, almost a century ago, they said J.C. Penney was dying with tuberculosis. He was in an asylum. This is before he became the big giant that you know in the department store world. And he was dying. Doctors had given him up. They'd done everything they could. He was on his last few days. He started writing letters to folk, his friends, thanking them and thanking them for their support and telling them he wouldn't see them anymore. But one night, the story says, he was laying there sick in his hospital room. And he heard some singing coming up the hallway. And he got interested and curious in it. And he got up out of his bed and started easing up the hall to see what that singing was. And when he got there, he found a prayer band sitting in another room. And he got healed that night. You know what they were singing? Be not dismayed. Whatever betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. Makes me think about a little boy, Bishop, Archbishop, down in Atlanta, Willie Merrick. A couple of years ago, you may have heard the story, nine-year-old Willie Merrick was out in the front yard playing in College Park. A strange man rolled up and snatched him and pulled him into his car and took off. Willie Merrick was crying in the back seat. And the man said, shut up, boy. Stop that crying. But he kept on crying. Finally, Willie Merrick thought about it, and he started singing a song out loud. He started singing every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. The man said, shut up. Willie said every